0: Not only do we want to eat foods that are window-worthy because they're delicious, but we want to eat foods that are window-worthy that make us feel really good. If you wouldn't eat it, you probably don't want to rub it on your skin. You're trusting, you're you're buying this product for your child, and it is more hazardous than what you're cleaning your stovetop with, but would you be spraying that all over your child? No. How much it matters, not just today. The choices I'm making today are going to impact my body 20 years from now 30 years from now when you have a choice
1: choose a safer option welcome to the melanie avalon biohacking podcast where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health mindset longevity and so much more are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life this show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this.
2: Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay friends, I bet you are super familiar with today's guest and the timing of this is really apropos, especially since she is leaving the intermittent fasting podcast. We aired our last episode together, which was episode 264 a few weeks ago. It's so crazy to think of this podcasting journey that I've been on. And when Jen and I first jumped into it about five years ago, We really had no idea what we were getting into, and it has grown into such a beautiful thing. I am so honored for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, and especially for this show, the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. I could not be more grateful. And so what a beautiful way to kind of bring Jen and Mai's podcast relationship to a close, but of course not real life relationship, than to air this episode with her on her book Cleanish. And yes, we do plan to meet one day in the future. It's going to happen, I promise putting it out to the universe. If I ever have a TV show, maybe it'll be then. (laughs) But in any case, I really think you guys will enjoy today's episode. And of course, it is about a topic that I am very, very obsessed with, and that is cleaning up our diet, our environment, our lifestyle, all the things. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com cleanish. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. And then there will be two episode giveaways for this episode, and it is a chance to win clean, safe skincare, which is Beauty Counter. Check out my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. Find the pinned announcement post there about this episode and comment something that resonated with you to enter to win a fabulous Beauty Counter product. Then check out my Instagram, Melanie Avalon. Also find the Friday announcement post there. And again, comment something that resonated with you to enter to win some fabulous, fun, safe skincare beauty counter. And friends, people do not often take me up on these posts. You have a very good chance of winning. And yes, you can win multiple times. I know a lot of you have. And I send different beauty counter products. So definitely keep entering. If you're enjoying this show, it would mean the absolute world, world, world. If you could take a brief moment and write an iTunes review, It's so easy. It helps so much. If you want to help support this show, click write a review. It can be like one sentence, and that helps so much more than you can ever know. And thank you so, so much in advance for that. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content tips and tricks, things from my life, and I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person, and I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is MelanieAvalonOfficial. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content, I do feel pretty shy about it, so please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MDLogic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts and friends get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price with the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at MelanieAvalon.com slash FoodSenseGuide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S.? a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code CLEAN for all 20 to get 20% off site wide. and they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right. Without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Jen Stevens. Hi friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have. It is with a guest that I bet a large portion, (laughs) a large portion of my audience is very, very familiar with. I am actually here with my intermittent fasting podcast co-host, Jen Stevens, who is the author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the New York Times bestselling book about fasting. And I had her on the show before for that book. And oh, goodness, Jen, how many hours do you think we have talked about fasting? like in general? Well, let's see. What episode number did we
0: just recently record? 260. Okay. So 260 hours (laughs) plus two more. Plus we sometimes go over an hour. Yeah. So I don't know. A lot of hours. That's a lot of talking about fasting. Absolutely. And then add in all the time that I've talked about fasting on intermittent fasting stories. Plus, well, if you, if you talk about typing about fasting, then it's probably like years. <laughs> yeah.
2: So that is a lot. But I won't say have no fear because I love talking about fasting. We will talk maybe a little bit about fasting today, but that is not the primary topic of today's show. Today's show is for Jen's new book, Cleanish. Eat mostly clean, live mainly clean, and unlock your body's natural ability to self-clean. And friends, as you guys know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of fasting, but I am a huge, huge fan of these concepts of cleaning up our life. And it's really exciting because Jen really, I was telling Jen this on a recent episode of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, but what's so really amazing about Cleanish is it covers a very expansive array of areas that we can be looking at for where we need to, quote, clean up our life. And when I say clean up, I don't mean... Well, she does talk about mentally things like that, but more it's like actually cleaning. So um, environmental toxins, things in our body, our food, our air, our homes, it's really a very valuable resource. And what's nice about it is it goes into the science of everything and it talks about the actual chemicals and what these are and what they're doing to us, but it's also very, very approachable and very encouraging. So I'm super excited to just dive deep into all of this. So, Jen, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you. And also, I just want to reiterate, this is not an intermittent fasting book. And apparently, you know, I don't read all of my negative reviews on Amazon, but I, I do sometimes go in and read the good ones just because I want to hear what people are saying. And what, apparently, some of the negative reviews that I haven't read are people are like, they thought
2: it was going to be a fasting book, and then they were mad that it wasn't. So, <laughs> It's funny because leading up to it, I mean I was sort of there along the way for the whole process of you trying to to decide with the publisher are you going to include intermittent fasting in the title and yeah so how do you feel about how it ultimately manifested with with everything like the title and the focus and well
0: the, I pushed for the title that we have so the title that we have was very much what I wanted it to be because here's the thing we know how amazing intermittent fasting is we choose to live intermittent fasting as a lifestyle and Our basic audience from the Intermittent Fasting Podcast or from Intermittent Fasting Stories or, of course, my books, they came to me because of intermittent fasting. But that is a subset of the population. And so not everyone wants to do intermittent fasting, or maybe they don't know they want to do it yet. But if if I had an intermittent fasting book that talked about being cleanish, that would limit the number of people that would potentially pick it up. Not just because I'm trying to sell more books, but because I'm trying to reach people in the whole, you know, world with the concept. Because every single person needs to learn about why it's important to be cleanish, not just the people who are already doing intermittent fasting. So it was very important to me that the audience for this book was literally everybody and not just, so you're an intermittent faster, here's how you can clean things up. It was, oh, so you're a human, (laughs) here's how you can clean things up. And one of the ways is intermittent fasting if you want to, but you don't have to. So I wanted it to
2: be a book for everybody and not an intermittent fasting book. I was actually thinking about that right before this. I was thinking about how doing intermittent fasting almost self-selects for the type of people that might already gravitate towards this topic. I was just thinking about how when you start fasting, you become so aware. If you weren't prior to that, you become so aware of how things affect your body. And I think at least for me, it made me more aware of things in my environment, like you just become more tuned in to the clean feeling with fasting.
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly why I am where I am today. Because you know my story, and listeners, I'm sure, do if they've heard me before. I started off as someone who was doing intermittent fasting in 2014, but eating the standard American diet. And I was so tired of diets, restricting, counting, not eating this macro or that macro or whatever, that I was like, I am never doing that again. I'm just going to do intermittent fasting and I'm going to eat whatever I want. And that is it. But over time, my body naturally started directing me towards different foods. It happened very naturally. And as you feel better you want to feel even better. So it's like a a cycle that perpetuates itself. And I've heard this, you know, from literally, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of intermittent fasters that end up going down this path and finding that over time, not only do we want to eat foods that are window-worthy because they're delicious, but we want to eat foods that are window-worthy that make us feel really good. And then we start to realize things that don't make us feel good. And we don't want to feel that way. So it's like a a self-perpetuating cycle of health that the farther you go, down the road, the better you feel and the better you want to feel. So it's a very common path to go down. And, you know, I love watching people at the beginning of it who are not there yet. And and they're like, yeah, I'll never be like that. But then later they're like, wait a minute, I'm getting there, you know, and watching it happen in real time is just thrilling because, you know, we're not telling people, here's what you have to do and here's how it's going to be for you. We're like, just see what happens. And people
2: find, hey, this is what happens. And to that point, so there's so much dietary confusion out there. And even on this show, you know, I'm bringing on people from all different perspectives with all different types of diets. And what quote conclusion, if it was a conclusion, did you arrive at? And and what do you talk about in the book as far as what food? So like in the subtitle, you say eat mostly clean. So what does that even mean? Like, what is clean eating? What's the mentality surrounding it? What should we actually eat? I love how you talk about there's food and not food, right? And
0: if you go into any grocery store or big box store and look around, most of what's on the shelves that we're like calling food is not really food anymore. It's just made of mostly not food. It's providing very little nutrients to our body. So that was a big lot of question right in there. So let's see if we can unpack it. So first of all, You know, what is clean eating? That's so funny because when I started writing Cleanish, I was like, let me see how other people define clean eating. So I started digging in, and it was actually hilarious. You know, I I went to, first of all, I went to the used bookstore here in town, and I'm like, let me see all the books that are clean eating and pull them off the shelf and see. Like, at the used bookstore, they'd be like $1 or whatever. But it was so interesting to look at the progression and how everyone defined it. Like, one author, I think, defined clean eating as dairy was okay, but it had to be low-fat dairy, That was clean eating. I'm like, that's wacky. I mean, why is low-fat dairy clean but regular full-fat dairy is not? Because I actually would define it more probably the other direction because low-fat dairy has fillers in it often. It often does. Or like, you know, one person might think eating clean meant never having any kind of dairy. So, you know, the definition of clean eating really depended on who was writing the book and what their personal dietary philosophy was. And, you know, my dietary philosophy is bioindividuality, And more and more research that's coming out is proving to us that we are all very individual. So, you know, the person who decided that low-fat dairy was clean and high-fat dairy wasn't, That was probably someone who thrived on a lower fat approach to living. And so they're like, well, this works for me. And so therefore, it's going to work for everybody. This is how everyone should be. You know, and as you start digging into different dietary theories and approaches, they're all based on, you know, quote, the science, which should be agreed upon. But obviously, actual science is the practice of questioning and experimenting and seeing, you know, what happens. So, you can sell any kind of idea and back it up with science and then sell the opposite idea and also back that up with science. And we see that with every single, you know, opposing dietary theory from be a vegan to be a carnivore and everything in between. You know, I can make a convincing argument for either side of that. You know, like if if you think about debate. I remember in in high school, we had, it wasn't the debate program. I can't remember what what it was called, but there was like a, you were going to debate or or talk about a, a topic and you had to be able to talk about it and also talk about the opposite. Like you needed to be able to get up and present your argument, but also get up and present the opposite argument. You know, you can find facts to support, like I said, vegan to carnivore to everything in between. But what it really comes down to is your unique characteristics, everything from your gut microbiome to your genetic heritage, whether you're lactase persistent, you know, back to dairy. There's a subset of people. I am one of them. I know that's from my DNA analysis. I am lactase persistent. That means genetically I continue to have the enzyme production that allows my body to digest dairy. 75% of the world is not lactase persistent. So dairy is something that it's harder for them to, to digest going, you know, as they age and they're no longer, you know, a child so, or a baby. So, you know, for me saying
2: everyone should be able to eat dairy because I can, that would be ridiculous. I don't think I've ever had a conversation on the show about lactase persistent, but I've had it twice this week now on Monday with Bill Schindler. Cause he was talking about what you just said. We think lactose intolerance is the rare thing, but actually it's more likely to, be. isn't this what you just said? It's more like, it's more of the norm. Right. 75% of people are not lactase
0: persistent, meaning if you've always suspected dairy doesn't work for you, you're probably right and so because a lot of people it really doesn't work for it so that you know the enzymes our bodies can break these things down well if you've got certain enzymes and if you don't then your body struggles with it because dairy is nature's perfect food for mammal babies so some people are like well that means no adults should ever have it it's not good for you to have ever but some of us you know our ancestors were dairy farmers, or we we lived in an environment where there was there were dairy products. And so we evolved to be able to process those versus if your ancestors did not, they did not evolve to be able to process them.
2: I wonder, this is just me thinking aloud, I wonder if we would ever evolve to adapt to a processed diet or if it's a train that is, you know, can only go bad ways.
0: That's an interesting question. I mean, I've never seen a study, and I read all the studies that were out there about ultra-processed foods, not a single one of them ever found benefits for an ultra-processed diet, which actually is pretty surprising because you know how the food industry always, you know, supports studies. They've never even managed to pull one out that proves that an ultra-processed
2: diet is, you know, beneficial. Yeah, that was something you pointed out in the book, you know, just amidst all the dietary confusion like we've talked about. I really feel like the only thing, and you say this, that I mean, most, maybe all agree on is that whole foods are typically the way to go.
0: Yeah. Except that one weird guy I remember back in,
2: I don't remember when it came out, but there was
0: this professor somewhere and he did something like the Twinkie diet and he's like, I'm going to prove that you could just eat garbage and be fine. And I mean, he was just looking only at calories and weight loss and that was the only metric. And, you know, we know for a fact that if you eat nothing but Twinkies, you're not going to have a healthy body. I mean, it doesn't provide the the building blocks that a body needs. Can you live? Yeah. I mean, people are doing it all around us. People are living on, you know, the average American adult, over 50% of the foods that they're eating are ultra processed. So people are doing it, but are they thriving?
2: I think we could look around and say the answer is no. So actually making these changes, where do people start? Is it just a matter of looking at ingredients on the food labels? Like, how do you eat mostly clean? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, throughout the book
0: Cleanish, you know, I'm I'm an elementary teacher at heart. And so I, I like to empower people to figure out what they want to do. So the whole book of Cleanish lays it out as like, you know, first we're going to learn about it and we're going to understand why do we care, right? You know, because there's, we all know that ignorance is bliss, but it really isn't because we need to know what we're doing. And you know, I used to be, and I talk about this in Cleanish, I had no idea. I I fed my children, you know, for example, I got them YooHoo.
1: I remember that.
0: Yeah, because it had it was full of vitamins and minerals and it was fortified. And you read that label. And you think, "Look at this. This is such a better choice because of all these fortifications that have been put into it." But really, that is a lie, because I was feeding my children nothing but a chemical, watery, sugary mix. And it's embarrassing to even admit that. But I didn't know. And you know i'm I'm a smart person. But how did I get through school? And up to that point in my life, without really understanding, you know, food is information in our bodies. Instead, you know, we were just taught to think about vitamins, minerals. Take a vitamin pill, that's good enough. Calories, energy requirements. As long as you're getting sufficient calories and you're getting your vitamins and your minerals, you're gonna be fine. But that is not true. Because food is a lot more complicated than just, you know, here's all the vitamins that are that are in this enriched product. So you know, as you're making your your personal evolution towards a cleanish lifestyle, first you have to understand the problem. And so that's what I write about in the beginning parts of the book. Like, you know, what's the problem? How have we gotten here? You know, because I think it's important to understand, you know, why we're at the point where everything has corn syrup in it and why every product on, you know, on the the packaged food aisle is full of soy and corn and why there's a reason and it's also very cheap it's a lot cheaper to eat that food why is that food cheaper and as you start to understand the issues you know how these foods can increase our body burden or our toxic load for example then you start realizing oh i don't want this and and the whole point of becoming cleanish is figuring out where am i willing to make the trade offs you know what are the things i never want to put into my body like for me artificial sweeteners i never put them into my body because several reasons. Number one, I don't enjoy them. That's It's really easy to not ever have something if you don't like it, right? <laughs> I never have to worry about mercury and fish, Melanie. Why is that? I don't like fish. So I don't have to worry about that. I just, I don't eat fish. So therefore, I'm not going to be like getting all the mercury from the fish. I don't like artificial sweeteners. So it's super easy to avoid them. Like I remember Christmas morning, my stepmother had this orange juice sitting out at the buffet. And I like orange juice. So I it was in a pitcher. So I drank some of the orange juice. And I'm like, hmm, this has an interesting flavor. So I, I'm like, can I see this orange juice? And I looked at the container. It was one of those with like sucralose in it. So I didn't have any more. I'm like, all right. It tasted gross. They added sucralose to the orange juice. Yeah, it's like diet orange juice. Did you know they did that? They do. There's diet orange juice. And I'm not criticizing her because she bought it because she thought it was healthier. But it isn't. It's not healthier. (laughs) So my personal no list is artificial sweeteners because, number one, I know it destroys my gut microbiome. It's not good for me. Also, there's metabolic issues with all these confusing signals of the, the artificial sweeteners, but I don't like it. So it's really easy for me to say no to that forever. On the flip side, you know, you and I both agree. You actually taught me about this. Seed oils. Seed oils are not good for our bodies. All these, you know, like canola oil that's in everything, and we were told it was so heart healthy. Surprise, it's not. These oils are very inflammatory. I mean, I know it's not a surprise for you or probably for your audience, but for those of us who grew up hearing how heart healthy these oils are, it is a big surprise that they're not. But I really love Duke's mayonnaise, and I talk about this in Cleanish. I've tried... You know, the paleo mayonnaise that doesn't have these. I think it's made with avocado oil. It's a much better choice. I don't like it as much. Now, I very rarely eat mayonnaise. Like, let me think. When's the last time I even had it? I don't know. Maybe I had an egg sandwich three weeks ago, maybe. I'm not sure. But I love egg sandwiches. But I put just a little bit of Duke's mayonnaise on there, and, and it's not going to, like, ruin my life or, like, destroy my health. And that's what it means to be cleanish. I've made that decision. And if I'm going to have mayonnaise, I'm going to have a little bit and it's going to be Duke's mayonnaise because I like the way it tastes. But I'm very careful most of the time to make sure that I'm, you know, not putting in, you know, a lot of toxins where I can. And so it's all about, you know, thinking about your the idea of your toxic load and your body burden and how much your body can handle. And so – you're just you're decreasing the amount of, of toxins that you're putting
2: in with the choices that you're willing to make. For listeners, oh, first of all, thank you so much for the shout out in the book about the, the seed oils. I got so excited. Well, I had to say it. It was true. <laughs> That's me.
0: <laughs> That's you. But, you know, for a long time, I was like, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. Again, going back to that ignorance is bliss. But eventually you're like, oh, wait, that's true. That
2: is not helping my health. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. For listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes to the interview I did with Dr. Kate Shanahan, who wrote the Fat Burn Fix, but we dive deep into polyunsaturated fat oils, so poofa vegetable oils, how they affect our cells, mitochondria and all of that stuff, if you'd like a deeper dive. But so a question about all of that, especially speaking, like you just said, you know, when people don't want to hear things, it can be hard to, I don't know, to experience a new way of viewing things. And then even though you might even experience a change and still not realize it. So for example, well, Maybe you realize it, but not the extent. What I am saying, you talk in the book, in the beginning of the book, about how, I mean, way back, you sort of realized this with your experience with your son and his food sensitivities or allergies. So I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about that experience. And even within that experience, you know, you didn't get completely on this train until more recently. So what was that experience for you with Will? And, you know, what does it take to actually really move forward, I guess. Not to say you didn't move forward back
0: then, but I didn't though, because, you know, I had two ideas of what these toxins were doing, okay, at that time. And actually before Will had these issues, I didn't even know that behavior could be affected by chemicals, which is dumb when you think about it, because we all know that alcohol causes you to behave differently or like drugs make you behave differently. You know, if someone was, you know, doing meth and they acted crazy, would you be surprised? You would not be surprised. We know that there are chemicals we can put in our bodies that make us act crazy. Like that's not even, you know, up for debate. But I didn't realize that things that were in foods could have those effects. And again, it's those not foods that I was talking about. But it all goes back to when Will was little and, you know, he was a colicky kind of baby. He was born with thrush. He had, you know, a lot of diarrhea and, I know his gut microbiome was trashed. Also, go back to when I was pregnant with him. I ate a lot of McDonald's. I had a toddler at home and I was taking my prenatal vitamins. And so I was in a hurry and I was teaching full time. And so I would drive through. And so I'm pretty sure I passed on a terrible gut microbiome to that poor little fella. And, you know, I, I didn't know better, but I felt like you know, prenatal vitamins, I was giving him everything that he needed. It, it sounds ridiculous now, but again, I didn't know. And so he was a sweet, sweet baby, but he was very temperamental. Well, when he was a toddler, it started getting worse. You know, I'm not sure really why, but it's like a switch got flipped at some point in his toddlerhood where he started having just really uncontrollable tantrums at daycare. And he got kicked out of one daycare and another daycare. Like like they were like, don't bring him back. That's hard. I mean, I was a teacher at the time. My other son had been through the the daycare successfully. We were a good day a good family for that daycare that had been there for you know a few years, and suddenly they're asking us to leave and And I didn't know what was happening. I was like, "What is wrong with my child?" And we ended up at a private school that had a three year old room and right before they kicked him out, his teacher said, "Have you ever thought that it might be what he's eating and I was like, what? No, that's ridiculous. And at that point, I'd been a teacher for, I don't know, 10 years, something like that. And I had not ever heard anything. About the connection between what we're feeding our children and their behavior. So she's like, what did he have for breakfast today? And I remember that day he had had this cat in the hat cereal that they only made for a very brief period of time, but it like turned red when you put the milk in there. Like he he had had a, a bowl of red dye that morning. And I was like, well, he had this cereal. And so I went home and started researching. It was the early days of the internet. I mean, early enough that I had the internet at home, but I started finding stuff and it like blew my mind. And I learned there was a whole organization called the Fine Gold Organization of parents who had children like mine that didn't do well with these chemical ingredients, the preservatives, the colors, the flavors, these artificial things. Also a class of natural foods called salicylates. Probably everyone has heard of someone with an aspirin allergy and at, that's just a very common allergen. Aspirin is a salicylate. And but a lot of foods have salicylates in them, like, for example, grapes and apples. And those the salicylates are believed to be a natural pesticide that the you know the the fruits have in there to keep, you know, animals or whatever from eating them, the, the natural pesticide. And some, People react to these salicylates. Well, of course, Will did. (laughs) Cal did not. He did not have trouble with the, the natural salicylates. But I mean, we couldn't do anything with apple, grape. I mean, he would just, you could just see it was like a switch was flipped. But we went all in. Now, this was the very early 2000s. And we lived in Carrollton, Georgia. And Carrollton, Georgia is a little small town right close to the Alabama line. It had a Walmart. It had a Kroger. I mean, and back then, you didn't have a natural food section at your Kroger or your Walmart. You didn't have organic stuff. We had to drive all the way to Atlanta to get... We had to go to Atlanta to get to Whole Foods. So we would go. We would pack them up and go to Atlanta and stock up. We had our big coolers. We would take stuff home and stick it in the freezer. And it was really, really difficult, but it was life-changing. We changed what we fed them. We changed the products that were in our homes because Will also reacted to chemicals in the air, like if you sprayed the, the things around him or like if you went into a new house that had new carpet he would go berserk. And it it was interesting. I read a book at that time called Brain Allergies. It was a great, great book. I don't know if you can still get it or not. But the foreword was written by Linus Pauling. I mean, and he's no schlumpy (laughs) with Nobel Prize in medicine for vitamin C. But Linus Pauling was like, yeah, chemicals, they can affect our brains. And the stories that were in the Brain Allergies book were fascinating. Like, I remember there was a story of a, a guy, he, drove a, he was like a, a trucker, and he drove a, a fuel truck. And he was like suddenly psychotic or something. I'm, I'm trying to, it's been, you know, 20 years since I read it. But he had these episodes, he had developed, you know, a quote, brain allergy to those chemicals in the fuel trucks. And once he stopped exposing himself to those, his, his, you know, mental illness disappeared. So, am I saying all mental mental illnesses are, are chemicals in our environment? No, of course not. But some of them really could be, and you just don't even realize it because these chemicals are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Quick
2: note about the salicylates. This brings everything full circle. So Cal, your first son, I bet he was a model child <laughs> in a lot of ways. He's the one who developed my app Food Sense Guide, which actually contains salicylates as one of the compounds. So if listeners want to learn more about that, they can get it at melanieavalon.com slash guide. But so going back to that experience with Will though, so you know you made these changes and it had a profound effect on him. So why didn't we stick with them? Yeah. See, this is this is the you know, it all comes down to what my
0: understanding was at the time. It was we are avoiding these chemicals because if we don't, we'll act crazy. That was the motivation. And as he got older, he quote, grew out of it. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, I think that his gut healed. And, you know, we know that there's a big connection gut-brain, right? And so, you know, it's, it's like your, second, your gut's your second brain. It, it controls your mood in so many ways. So as his gut healed, he became less chemically sensitive. It also might have been just as he, he got a bigger body, his bucket lowered, all, who knows what it exactly was. But he stopped having these tantrums. He started able, being able to tolerate these foods. I'm like, hallelujah, this is over. We can now just eat like, quote, normal people. So that's what we were doing. And, you know, it's for me, I felt like the only reason you would ever change what you were eating was to lose weight. You know, I would go through the trying to clean things up or clean eating. To me, clean eating was like, well, if I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to do it. But I mean, I never lost weight with clean eating. So I was like, yeah, what's the bother? I'm just going to, you know, eat my whatever it is, my ultra processed standard American diet. That's the food I want to eat. So to me, cleaning things up was a means to an end. And it it was not, I didn't really have the deep understanding that I do now about how much it matters, not just today, but 20 years from now. The choices I'm making today are going to impact my body 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And so, you know, the more I've learned, the more it kind of makes you mad at the the state of things, you know, because we trust that the government's taking care of us with their regulations and that if things are in these products, that they're safe. You know, the Food and Drug Administration, we just have the feeling that if it is sold in Target, it's safe. And that is not
2: true. The generally recognized as safe list, if you look at it, a lot of chemicals got just grandfathered in, like basically... I don't even know like how does that even happen like how do you even come up with this list without testing
0: well and and the thing about the the testing is the way that they test them okay like they might test one thing at a time and and they test one thing at a time in isolation and they're like oh look it doesn't cause any problems it must be fine but we don't live our life in isolation. We're living in this toxic soup and things work together and they combine and they build up. And so testing one thing at a time in isolation is not real world. It's it, it's not how our bodies are are being, you know how we're living. You know because you don't just have one thing at a time. You have everything coming at you.
2: It's the synergistic effect and the cocktail effect and just it's a big problem. It's a good thing, but I'm actually very shocked that trans fats got you know, basically tackled by the FDA. I know, they must have been really bad. They
0: must have been so bad that, (laughs) I mean, for something to get taken, you're right.
2: I feel like that's one of the only things that has actually been banned by the FDA or taken off.
0: For the most part, I think there were some, if I think back, I think there were some food dyes that aren't used anymore, like like they used to use maybe I don't know. I feel like they used to put a different food diet in hot dogs that they don't use anymore. Like they were super red. And and so I don't know. But for some reason I feel like they might have changed some of those a little bit. But you know, a lot of this it's it's consumers who are really speaking out and having a voice. The opposite side of that ignorance is bliss is knowledge is power. And as we start to to know and understand, we demand better. And also
2: related to all of this. So tying it all together, you were talking about how you were really only looking at, you know, dietary changes as how they related to weight loss. But what is the role that you understand now of how these chemicals actually can affect our weight loss and our fat cells? Well, that's what's so very interesting. And
0: it's one of those things that's really hard to, you know, prove or measure in yourself because taking out a chemical that you're not eating you might not it might have a little effect and you can't tell it now but it might make an effect that shows up in 20 years but you can't prove that cause and effect because it's been 20 years if that makes sense but we know that a lot of these chemicals that are in our environment or our foods you know they could be endocrine disruptors for example you know and endocrine disruptors are things like just for example BPA you know we we know that that BPA is in certain Containers, although a lot more are you know being marketed as BPA free, but it's an endocrine disruptor. Dioxins, they're something that comes from the manufacturing process. They're all around us. Phthalates, for example. Phthalates are in flexible plastics. All of those are examples of endocrine disruptors. Well, what what does that mean? Well, our endocrine system is like, you know, our hormones and the, the the way that things you know signal within our bodies. And endocrine disruptors have, you know, several different mechanisms of action in the body where they basically are interfering with our hormonal signaling pathways. Like they might, you know, mimic a hormone and send false signals that are, are now our bodies are reacting to The chemicals, thinking that it's a hormone, but it's really just mimicking the actual hormone, or they might block the action of a hormone in our bodies by binding to the receptors in a certain way. And so these endocrine disruptors can affect our thyroid function, our reproductive system, so many different things in our bodies. And some of these endocrine disruptors are also obesogens. And so what are obesogens? Are they're any chemicals that might, you know, promote excess fat accumulation or they have, they, they might change the way our fat cells function. Maybe they change how our metabolisms work. And so again, it's really hard to prove cause and effect. Like this is doing that exactly thing. And then you take it out. It's really hard because they're, they, they add together. You know, we know, if you look around, we see the results of all these endocrine disruptors and obesogens and that everyone suddenly is, you know, it seems like everywhere you look, people are struggling with metabolic dysfunction and obesity. You know, why is that? Why are the rates of obesity skyrocketing? You know, you have to to say it's clearly something that is different. And so, as we've moved towards more ultra-processed foods and more chemicals in our environment, they're really affecting us hormonally, metabolically, in so many ways that we're really just beginning to understand. And some people don't even want to understand it or go down that path. They don't want to dig in because they don't want to
2: have to make changes, if that makes sense. I feel like the endocrine disruptors, I was thinking of analogy, it's sort of like, you know, if you have a person who's creating some sort of project or doing some sort of task or wanting to do something, there's the actual, you know, physical tools or materials involved to do that. But There's also the role of them being taught. So like the person telling them how to do the thing and the endocrine disruptors, I feel like the hormones are like telling the cells what to do, which could be just as impactful as you know what we're actually like calories or something like that but some of the some of the endocrine disruptors give your they they mimic
0: these hormones like I said and so they tell it to do things that are really not what they should be doing and not what your body would be telling it to do but like store more fat and your body's like all right I'll store more fat and so that would be like an obesogen that these chemicals stimulate your body to store more fat so if you've ever felt like gosh I'm storing more fat than I should be based on calories in calories out it could be some of those chemicals in your in your diet or that you're exposing yourself to through you know, the environment are
2: actually telling your body to do that. And we talk about a lot on this show and on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, like the massive amounts of these in our skincare and cosmetics, which we're putting directly onto our body. What all did you find when you were diving into that that world? Well, you know, just the same thing that
0: just like with food, these chemicals are in our skincare products, our cleaning products, they're really everywhere. There was a very interesting study, I can't remember the year, it was the breast cancer prevention partners, and they, they pulled together some very common products that you were know, cleaning products and personal care items, and they they looked at them and analyzed the ingredients for safety. Now keep in mind, they looked at personal care products and cleaning products. The number one most hazardous product. Do you remember what it was? Oh, I remember reading this. It was not a cleaning product. Was it a hair or shampoo? Our kids? Was it a kids thing? Yes. It was, it was something in a, in a hair care kit marketed to children of color. And that was the number one most hazardous thing, not the cleaning products that they were looking at. So, you know, here you are. You're trusting. You're, you're buying this product for your child. And it is more hazardous than what you're cleaning your stovetop with. But would you be spraying that all over your child? No. And we don't realize, well, I mean, I've actually had someone argue with with me about this because they didn't get it. They're like, that's not true. I'm like, yes, it is. That things go through our skin. Things go through our skin. And we know that from, you know, transdermal medications, like the patch that someone might put on for birth control or for trying to, you know, get a nicotine patch if they're trying to stop smoking. We know that you put that patch on and the birth control hormones go into your body and they work. So why would something else be different? You know, our, your body's not like, oh, that's the patch she meant to put on versus we're going to keep that one out because that's a lotion. No, everything you put on your body, your skin is a two-way street. And so, you know, when you realize that what you're putting on gets inside, you realize that, hey, what, what's going in there? Is it stuff I want to go in there? If you wouldn't eat it,
2: I found the solution and guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world so when we expose our eyes to this light it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood that is crazy it helps with skin with mood this is the light that i wasn't thinking about that we need i love soul light therapy devices i do use it in combination with my red and near infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful that Ken at soul shine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at Melanie Avalon.com slash soul shine. That's S O L S H I N E For anybody who does not believe that it goes through your skin, try, well, I'm not advocating this, but if you were to put on a nicotine patch that is too much of a dose for you, you will very soon believe that things can go through your skin.
0: Well, if people don't believe they go through your skin, then why would we even have nicotine patches? That would be a scam. But we know that those are real. So you start applying the same logic. You're like, wait, it's true like i remember when chad was getting his phd at university of south carolina one of his professors that was her area of research was transdermal medication he worked with her and that was what she studied i mean we we know it's a very it's a, it's a pathway that medications come into the body so your your body isn't like wait that's a medication that's good oh that's
2: a toxin that's bad it's just like come on in you're on my skin So, okay. So people understanding this and hearing this, there's a further step of confusion because you can have agency and want to make change. And then you might go to the store and look at the products. And there are so many products doing things that you talk about in the book, greenwashing in a way. So all of these labels... So how do we interpret labels? What did you find researching the labels? Well, for the most part, those labels are meaningless. And because they use all
0: these war- buzzwords, like my favorite is when they say something's chemical-free. <laughs> That's the funniest. Because literally, of course, you know, I'm married to an organic chemist who understands that everything that you can... <laughs> Touch or see, whatever, everything is a chemical. We're all made of chemicals, right? Water is a chemical. So if something is chemical free, it's made of what? Like nothing? That's impossible. <laughs> so, you know, the la- they, they put these labels on there. They, they might have a little green plant on the front and you're like, oh, look, this is so natural. But but it, it's it doesn't mean a thing. So greenwashing is really how they trick us into believing that we're we're making safer choices based on the colors, the wording, all sorts of things. And so you need to have a strategy of some sort or tools that help you decide. And there's a bunch of great tools out there already. You do not have to reinvent the wheel. You do not need to go to the grocery store and stand there in confusion. You know, there's a few apps you can get. You know, my my favorite, the Environmental Working Group app that lets you find products there's another one that a friend of mine just told me about it's called Switch Natural you have to pay for it. I'm not affiliated with them, but it's a great app. You have to buy it to download it. But the way it works is you just take a photo of the ingredients list. You don't even have to like barcode the product because that's one of the things with the Environmental Working Group app. You know, I've been in there trying to, you know, scan a barcode in the grocery store or the drugstore and they don't have it in their database. So that's not super helpful if they don't have it in their database because there's thousands of products out there, you know, and new ones come out every day. But with the, the Switch Naturals, you just take a You just take a photo and it scans the ingredients list and then tells you what ingredients are in there that you you should be concerned with. So that makes it really easy. For me, though, I don't want to go to all that trouble for the most part. So I have designed my life so that I'm using products that I trust, like Beauty Counter that you and I both love. And I don't have to worry. If Beauty Counter sells it, I know it doesn't have anything dangerous in it. I just buy it and I don't have to read the ingredients. I don't even care because I know it's safe. The same with my cleaning products. You know, there are companies, I use Branch Basics. And so I know that Branch Basics is a safe line, so I don't have to worry about it. And you just, you know, you know when you're about to run out, you make sure you're stocked up. And so easy, easy. And those are the kind of things, and, and you know they don't have to be more expensive. You just you have to plan for success, get your basics. We don't need as much as we think we do. <laughs> you don't need 42 different cleaners under your kitchen cabinet. You just have to make sure you have the ones that are going to work and, and that are safe, and then you just keep buying
2: those. And for listeners, I again will refer you to Cleanish because Jen goes through all the labels and what they actually mean, what they actually... Could mean maybe just to talk about one of them because I think it's one that is kind of, well, I, I would say mind-blowing, but it's really interesting. So like the difference, for example, between fragrance-free versus unscented, what is that? It's so confusing that I
0: can't even paraphrase exactly which is which. I would have to look it back up. But you can't rely on the label. Basically, if, if it says fragrance in a label, then that, that could be anything. And so you need to just be aware that they hide things under the name of fragrance. But sometimes they're adding things that mask a scent, like a product might have like normally a stench to it that you wouldn't use because it's so gross. So they add something and they can say that it is like unscented or fragrance-free, but they've added
2: something to mask a stench that's actually a chemical you wouldn't want. Yeah. So actually just reading, so this is straight from the government website. It says fragrance-free means that fragrance materials or masking scents are not used in the product. Unscented, generally, okay, once you throw in generally, then everything's out the window, (laughs) but generally means that the product may contain chemicals that neutralize or mask the odors of other ingredients. That is so misleading. (laughs) Right. So basically, I don't like either of those labels.
0: Fragrance-free or unscented, neither of those, I'm like, you know, they're they're both can be misleading, but for different reasons. But it's it's the buzzwords. And so you're like, oh, this is fragrance-free. So I'm not going to, you know, smell it. But that doesn't mean that that you're not inhaling things you don't want to inhale,
2: right? That doesn't mean that the chemicals are safe. This is one of the little facts that I always mention in my beauty counter ads, but the fragrance thing goes back to the 1960s and was basically a, and you talk about this in the book as well, but basically a legal loophole that let products, in order to um, protect their trade secret.
0: Right. It was proprietary. They didn't want to have to tell you what their scent was and their perfume. So that became, fragrance could just be anything. So that's that's shocking. So if you see fragrance...
2: Literally, everything's out the window. It could be anything, and we don't know what it is. You talk about in Cleanish how clean – do you say clean doesn't have a smell? Technically, yeah. Clean doesn't have a smell. If you're smelling it, they're smelling something. Yeah. I really love the section that you did on the home. So you talk about the air in the apartment, bedding, you know, storage utensils, cooking – All of that. So when you were looking into that, what did you find to be the most concerning area in people's homes? Is it the air, the bedding, the furniture, all of it?
0: Well, it all just adds up. So you can't, I I can't really say this is the most concerning. Honestly, the most concerning is probably what we're doing on purpose because we think that it smells good. You know, like the plug-in air fresheners or the sprays that we use because we're trying to make things smell good. You know, those are the things right there that we're doing on purpose and we could just stop doing them. And and that's easy. Like it's very very easy for me to never buy an air freshener or something designed to give us you know like or like Febreze or something. Those things that, that those chemicals are not good for you to be inhaling or to have getting through your skin. And, and so all those smells and also like your laundry detergent, it's really easy to, to stop doing those things. Where it gets trickier is like floor coverings, carpet, you know, things that, that are maybe came with your home. <laughs> you know, they, you, you buy your house and it's got carpet in there. What's, what's that carpet made of? What's it off-gassing? How long has it been there? So there's so many factors. Again, you can start to freak out. Instead of doing that, just think when you have a choice, choose a safer option. When you can, eliminate something that actually is contributing to the toxic level, like, like you know, the plug-ins, like I mentioned. And, you know, to circle back to scents, you know how I said clean doesn't have a smell? That doesn't mean all scents are bad. Like essential oils, for example. I I buy, I talked about my brand's basics that I love, and I put peppermint oil, organic peppermint oil, in the all-purpose cleaner, and it smells fresh and clean because I, you know, scents are powerful. I know you've done an episode with, about essential oils before. Those smells can can have you know positive effects on our bodies. So just because you're smelling something doesn't mean it's hurting you. It, it could be depending on what it is, but I love the smell of peppermint in the air, and and it's okay. It's it's not dangerous. So it's just a matter of what's the origin of that peppermint smell. Is it coming from a peppermint essential oil or is it coming from an artificial fragrance in a lab that they're making a simulated peppermint smell with all these other chemicals? One of them is a good
2: choice. One of them is one that I would avoid. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me of what we actually, you and I talked about Really recently on the intermittent fasting podcast, but it was the importance of if you are using something like the environmental working group and looking at the ingredients, not necessarily going immediately by the rating, like looking at the breakdown, because the example that I gave on the show then was the toothpaste I'm currently using that I love because it has no nothing sweet in it. It's a salt toothpaste but it has a three, which isn't awful, but you know, it's not like a a one, (laughs) but when you look at why it's because it's pretty much all ones and twos. Oh, and for listeners. So with the environmental working group, they rank between one and is it seven, eight, there's a scale, but some things are like ABC. So they have different. Yeah. Oh yeah. True. For the cleaning products, it's They use A, B, C for personal care products. I think they use a number scale. But the reason it wasn't lower, so better, was because it has peppermint in it. And they rank peppermint higher, not because of the toxicity, but because it's high on the allergy scale. So some people have problems with peppermint. So that's an example of, you know, sometimes you need to dive in deeper to actually, you know, see what the... And you talk about that in the book, actually, with the, the Listerine's. Or the, sorry, the, the mouthwash is. Exactly. But I,
0: I want to point out one thing. When you're developing your own personal definition, I talked about cleanish eating, also with cleanish living, you decide what, what are your deal breakers. And, I mean, obviously, peppermint oil would not be a deal breaker for me. So, But fragrance, I don't buy it. If it's got added fragrance, I don't get that because I don't know what it is. I'm like, well, I'm not buying that.
2: Do you know what I just thought of that I haven't thought of in forever? Talking about off-gassing. <laughs> I've been very much in this world for a while with trying to avoid off-gassing furniture and bedding. And I even went so far. It was really, really hard actually to find mattresses without flame retardants. Really hard. And so the mattress I ended up buying. The goat mattress? Yeah. (laughs) The mattress I ended up buying, which I love. Do you still have your goat mattress? Oh yes, and I love it. It is amazing. So I ended up buying a it's um my green mattress I think is the brand and it's one of the only mattresses I could find that didn't have a flame retardant and what they use instead is something from like some sort of goat hair. <laughs>
0: Good times. Those were that was like
2: twenty seventeen, right? When we were talking about the goat mattress, I think twenty eighteen, because you know a lot of things have off gassing smells, but for the first few days, it didn't have off gassing chemicals, but it smelled like a goat, and I was literally dreaming. I dreamed I was in a barn.
0: (laughs) You'd be going the grocery store, and they're like, "Is there a goat in here?" (laughs) No, that's Melanie. (laughs) Oh gosh, that's so funny. But but you're right; those are the kind of things, and. You know, I've kind of hinted at it, but I haven't really talked about our toxic load and our buckets. But those are the kinds of things that add to your toxic load and and your bucket. Can I talk about the bucket effect for just a minute? Please do. And I first heard about this, again, when I was researching this for Will, there was a very good book called Is This Your Child by Dr. Doris Rapp, and she was an environmental allergist, and she did work with children. I think she used to go on the Phil Donahue Show or something for people who are old enough to know, but it was similar to Dr. Feingold, letting people know that the way your child is acting might be based on the chemicals, that they are having this, you know, quote, brain allergy, like I mentioned before, too. I feel like that was the first place I read about your bucket effect. So I want you to imagine, you know, a bucket sitting in front of you. And that bucket represents your toxic load. And and the bucket is how much you can hold. Now, you might have a smaller bucket than me. Or maybe you have a bigger bucket than me. But everyone has their own personal bucket of how much toxic load they can handle before their body starts to do crazy things. So imagine that all these toxins in our environment through what we eat, through what we breathe, through what we absorb, are dripping into that bucket, drip, 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 one drop at a time. Eventually, that bucket's going to fill up. It's going to keep filling up. And then eventually, the bucket is going to be full. And then once a bucket is full, the very next drop that goes in makes it overflow. So with these kids like Will, it came out as behavior problems. But for another kid, it might come out as eczema. Or something else, you know, seasonal allergies, you know, to pollen or whatever. But now you're sneezing because that does also add to your bucket, the natural things like the pollen. And so, like, you might have a kid who's grouchier during pollen season and you don't know why, but that's helping to fill their bucket. And it comes out as behavior problems. The goal is we want to lower the level in our bucket however we can. So it's not always overflowing and causing us whatever the problems might be. It might be acne. It might be whatever. So many things. But we do that by putting fewer toxins in intentionally by cleaning up what we eat and how we live. But also, we want to support our body's self cleaning mechanisms so our bodies can deal with the toxins. Because some of the toxins that we have in our bodies are natural byproducts of just our our metabolic processes. You know, probably everybody listening knows someone who's on dialysis, right? You know, their kidneys, our kidneys have to filter out toxins. But you know, why are kidneys designed to filter out toxins? Well, some of the toxins are coming from, like I said, our metabolic processes like creatinine, and it builds up. But if your kidneys are, are having to deal with so many toxins that are in the environment these days, they get overworked, and they lose their ability, they get damaged, they're not able to filter out the, the naturally produced toxins because they're so focused on these damaging toxins that are coming in. We lose our kidney functions over time. Then you have to go on dialysis. So we want to promote our body's self-cleaning mechanisms. If we're not putting stuff in, they can just work on the things they're supposed to work on. But the more we put in, the harder our bodies have to work and they just can't keep up.
2: Hi friends, one of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. We'll also put that in
1: the show notes. All right. Now back to the show.
2: My own personal experience with that and the reason I, I mean, I went through a period where I got, I mean, it was obsessive with toxins and I think it was because my bucket was so full with, from mercury toxicity. I just felt, and this is how you can actually, I don't know, this is a very not scientific (laughs) way of evaluating oneself, but a way that I perceive that I've made so much progress in this was when I was like at my peak of mercury toxicity, I could not... So if I like saw the cleaning aisle and the store, the thought of walking down that aisle like and and smelling the things was... I would have a probably like a panic attack or anxiety surrounding it. Like I could not even walk through that aisle. Oh, I get it. Cause it's like coming at you. It's filling your bucket. And I was so... Toxic from the mercury, which was verified with blood tests and things like that. And so now I don't like walking down that aisle, but I can and I won't I won't get anxiety or anything like that. Funny story. I couldn't walk down that aisle with Will <laughs> when he was little. He would freak
0: out. I couldn't walk down that aisle. We did not go down that aisle. We did not. I mean, he you could just tell it's like a, a switch was flipped, and his eyes would change. It was so interesting. you could see it literally happen. Did you put two and two together? Well, that was after I was already, I knew. I mean, I didn't know it. I just knew every time we went to Walmart, he freaked out or whatever. I didn't know why. I I just knew my child was a handful. And, you know, we we always had, sometimes we would abandon a filled shopping cart because we just had to get the heck out of there because he was having a tantrum. And I just thought it was his personality. And I, I know that if I hadn't figured this out, we would have been doing all sorts of medications. He would have been diagnosed as this, that, and the other. But he got zero diagnoses and And went through school and skipped a grade, and' qualified for the gifted program. And all of that was because we we set the stage for him to you know be successful by getting these things. I just think of how many kids out there are struggling, and they could be helped by cleaning up what they're eating and the products you use in your home. As a teacher, I tried to kind of tell parents about it. They didn't all want to hear it. I can remember there was a teacher at my school, her son was like having so many problems. It just, he reminded me so much of Will. He was a first grader. And like on the playground one day, he stripped down naked and started running around. I mean, that is not normal childhood behavior. Children don't do that. But he he clearly, just like Will, had triggers. And I tried to, I, I tried to loan her the materials. She was like, no, that's not what it is. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> I wish you would just try it. But she didn't try it. You know, not everybody was receptive because it seems like it's wacky a little bit out there, but
2: it's not. Well, to that point, one of the things I think is so, so helpful and cleanish and a reason that it's such an amazing resource and so valuable is you do provide like a very helpful plan and a way to go about actually making changes, especially when it comes to family. So what is some of your advice for people looking to especially for like you know dietary changes and things like that you know cuz kids want to eat what they well do kids want to eat what they want to eat <laughs> um are there picky eaters like how can we actually make changes in the home if you have a family and kids and you're wanting to make changes
0: and you know uh, that that's a very interesting topic as far as like kids and picky eaters like i'm pretty sure i raised picky eaters because of the way that i didn't make them try things, or is that oh you tried this one time and you didn't like it we'll never have that again, and so kids can be taught to be picky by you giving into their their whims of not not eating something right. So like the, when Cal was a toddler, I remember one time joking that he only ate things that were beige. He ate things that were beige because that's what I I gave him, and he ate those things. And if I gave him something like like a carrot stick, he didn't like that carrot stick, so I didn't give it to him. So I gave him applesauce, and I gave him crackers, and I gave him vanilla pudding, and I gave him applesauce, and I gave him french fries, and he loved all those beige things. And again, looking back, I'm like, what in the world? But, you know, I was allowed to be a picky eater growing up too. No one made me eat anything that I didn't want to eat. And so I was just like, that's just what you do. You let them eat what they want to eat. But we actually know, based on research, that kids have, and I can't tell you the exact number. I don't have it stored in my brain, but kids have to have a certain number of exposures to things before they might like them. So you have to keep offering them. You don't just give them, a, you know, baby food carrots twice and say, oh, he doesn't like baby food carrots. You keep offering the food. And then eventually their palates will accept those foods because kids are very much a blank slate and we can teach them, these are foods. These are, you know, let, let them grow up having all these flavors. You know, you look at kids in other countries or kids throughout history, you know, if they're over there eating scorpion tail and that's a delicacy, those kids are eating scorpion tail. And versus, you here in America, if we offered kids scorpion tail, they'd be like, what? No, I'm not eating that. It's not something they think of as food. So it's really a lot of it is what we're exposed to and what the expectations are around mealtime. Now, that being said, there are some kids with sensory issues and those are, are you know feeding issues or texture issues. Although... I do wonder how many of those sensory issues, texture issues are because of issues that come from having a gut microbiome that's not healthy, right? Yeah, it's like the chicken and egg. Exactly, exactly. You know, did kids, you know, if we go back 200 years ago, were you going to find kids with sensory issues who couldn't eat crunchy things? I mean, or whatever things or meat? No, you didn't. The kids ate what there was. And why did the kids then not have these sensory issues than now we do? And and it's very, very common to have these sensory issues now. You know, as a teacher, I saw the number of diagnoses in our kids going up, 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 you know, over the 28 years I was in the classroom, like dramatically. And so what's the reason? You know, we could debate that, but certainly the fact that most kids are eating ultra processed foods. To the extent of like, that's what they're eating all the time. And also, they're just around all these artificial smells. Like when I was in the airport last week in Atlanta, I'm in the bathroom stall, and I look over to my left. You know how they have like automatic toilet flushers? Well, now they have automatic scent puffers, whatever. They release fragrance. If you rub your hand, it'll puff a fragrance out at you. So, you know, it's coming at us from all sides. And and so the kids can't escape it because the, sometimes they go to the airport or sometimes it's happening in their school might have these fragrance things puffing out. And their little bodies can't take it. So it, it, it overflows. And it, like with Will, it was behavior. It could be a learning problem for your child. But that's why it's so important to start early. And that's easier said than done. If you've got a 12-year-old at home, it's too late to start early. They're already 12. But you can start now. And wherever your kid is, let them be a partner and help them understand. Kids don't like to just hear ultimatums. Like, this would be the wrong way to handle it. Don't say, hello, Will. Let me just use Will as an example. All of these are bad foods. We're never going to have bad foods anymore. We're only going to have good foods anymore. So all these things that you used to love, we can't have them. We're only going to have these other things. I mean, your kid is not going to be on board (laughs) if you present it like that. Instead, though, start talking about nutrients and building a healthy body and where do we get the nutrients and understanding about foods and the power of real food and making better choices, teaching them to read labels. If you've got a 12-year-old, they can read the label. Just say, you know, hey, I've learned some things about you know, artificial colors that I didn't use to know. And then look at it with your child and understand it and say, let's look at these, you know, different brands of yogurt, for example, you're at the store looking for yogurt and like, let's read these labels. Which one feels like it's it's better food for our bodies. Your kid can understand by looking at a label, you know, sugar, you know, or, or milk versus all these crazy words that they're like, I don't even know what that is. So teach your kids about real food. And also why we need to have real food. You know, like, like why are we going to eat vegetables? Well, let's look up what's in these vegetables. You know, for example, all right, we're going to eat some carrots. And your gonna be like, I don't like carrots. Well, let's see what carrots can do for us and all the different nutrients that are in those carrots. And how can we try to prepare these? Would you help me with it? And and letting your kids take the lead and be empowered and just not having the things around the house that are full of the the chemicals. You can always make a better swap with really anything. Again, you know, I talked about the mayonnaise that I like. There are better mayonnaises out there. And if mayonnaise was a big part of my life, I would make that switch 100%. Switch out the yogurt. Switch out the the jelly, the jam that you use. You can get an organic version. If they like strawberry jelly, get, get an organic version. It's super easy to make those switches. And over time, their palates will change. And, you know, kids, again, I'm not talking about the ones with sensory issues and feeding problems. That's a whole different animal. But a kid will eventually eat the food that you have on hand. And if you help them, if you let them be a partner in the process, they're a lot more likely to eat it. Like if they're, if you're like, tonight's going to be pizza night, let's, let's, what do you want to put on your
2: pizza? If they're, you know, helping make it, they're going to be a lot more invested in it. Yeah, I think that's so empowering. I'm just thinking back to when I was a kid and I mean, I ate a very standard American diet, but I think I would have been excited if if it was things like, especially how I am with research and stuff. Like I I probably would have been felt very empowered and loved if I had been taught to like look at labels and things like that. Nobody taught us that because we also,
0: I mean, I don't know, was it that the teachers didn't even know? I don't know. Like the only thing I remember from nutrition class is you need to get vitamins and minerals. Here are the four food groups. Because back then they were talking about four food groups. You probably were are young enough. It was the food pyramid for you, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. For me, it was the four food groups, and it was four, four, three, two. You just have four servings of this, and so meat, vegetables, fruits, and dairy. Okay, so the four food groups were meat and protein, fruits and vegetables, dairy, and then grains. Yeah. And then there was other which was like all the other stuff.
2: Interestingly, that sounds actually more similar to the my plate. So it's kind of like it went from that to the pyramid then back to my plate. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But they just taught, they didn't teach us really, or maybe the, may- did they not even know? I'm not sure. We've learned a lot more about, you know, as we're able, to, our science allows us to dig in. Like, for example, the gut microbiome. We now know the diversity that's in our gut microbiome. Maybe they didn't even really understand what all was in a carrot. They're like, oh, it's vitamin whatever. Let's just get that. But really, there's thousands of phytochemicals in that carrot. Thousands of bits of information that our body can use as we're we're eating these real foods. Thousands of phytochemicals that can help support our liver function or our kidney function or our metabolic health in powerful ways. The fiber, all the all the stuff that's in there has a purpose. You can't just take a Flintstones vitamin and get the same thing. But what I took away from health class was Flintstones vitamin solves my problem. I can eat a chicken pot pie frozen dinner and have a Flintstones vitamin
2: and I'm good to go. That is a lie. Even now, I think we're still pretty reductionist and we'd like to isolate like with polyphenols and flavonoids. Oh, it's this one compound. When there's so much in there. And it's just interesting. I I
0: can't remember the exact one. It might have been beta-carotene, the example that I gave in Cleanish, where they were like, okay, this seems to be linked to these positive health health outcomes. So let's make the supplement and see what it does. So they gave people doses of this supplement. And actually, instead of improving health outcomes, it made them worse. Because, that, first of all, they were taking amounts that were much higher than you would ever have in nature. But also, you know, Dr. Fung talks about this. He talks about, you know, in, in food, you know, things work synergistically together. The, the food item, like the fiber that's in there counteracts the sugar naturally. <laughs> then when you process it, though, now you're just got, they take out the fiber and you just got the sugar hit. And so your body can't
2: deal because it's in nature, you would never be having that in isolation. Or one of the most fascinating studies. And so Tim Spector wrote the the forward to your book, which is super exciting.
0: I know, because I'm such a fan.
2: Yeah, he's, um, he's incredible. For listeners, I've had an interview with him. He's the founder of the ZOE program, which looks at your microbiome and how you clear sugar and fats. But he talks about a study in his book, and I don't know if you mentioned it in your book as well, but it was a study of all these different types of foods and every single every single one, they could find studies linking it to mortality or linking it to health. Yeah, I didn't mention that in my book, but right. So it's like to bring everything full circle with the, the confusion out there. Yeah. But I think, like I said, there is a lot of confusion, but there is so much that you can do. And I think that's pretty much you know, one of the biggest takeaways from Cleanish is that you can make a lot of change. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be all or none. You can do it at your own pace, do it in the way that works for you. You just need the information and the resources. So definitely get cleanish. And you're not having to reinvent the wheel. And like
0: I walk you through it at the end of every chapter is a place for you to reflect and take action and look around and see what you're doing and then start to design your own definition of cleanish eating and cleanish living and what's going to work for you. And then tackle, you know, what do you want to tackle first? Where are you going to start? And and it's it doesn't have to be intimidating, Because again, is ignorance bliss? Really? No, (laughs) it's not. And even though some of the stuff you're learning is scary, like I wasn't excited when I was in the airport and that stuff's puffing fragrance out at me. I didn't like that. But, you know, what could I do? Nothing. I had to be in the airport. Did I tell you the story how my bucket overflowed? Oh, my gosh. It was it was so funny. I actually had an overflowing bucket that day, and it manifested as a runny nose and sneezing. You know, it's pollen season here in Georgia right now. I was looking out the window the day before I got on the plane, and you could literally see the pollen floating through the air. Like, you could see it. <laughs> you know, it's so much pollen. And, you know, I haven't had seasonal allergies since intermittent fasting. My inflammation is lower. I keep my bucket pretty low, but the pollen was crazy—like dusted yellow everything. And so, all that comes into my body, and my body has to deal with it. My body's dealing with it well. So then, I get on the airplane, and um, you know, there's chemicals all around you there. Then, and they're adding to my my bucket. And then I'm in the airport, and stuff's puffing out at me. And you know, I'm cleanish, right? So, I'm sitting in the Delta Sky Lounge because I had like three hours in between my flights. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and eat because I'm not going to get there till really late. And so I opened my window with some hummus and some veggies and some great looking stuff that they had, some hot stuff they had, like a soup. Then I look over and they had barbecue potato chips. Now, I don't buy barbecue potato chips at home. They're the bad oils, the bad chemicals, full of all the terrible stuff. But I was like, I'm sitting here in the airport. I'm having a glass of whatever it was that they served me at the Sky Lounge. It was bubbly. And I'm going to eat this little pack of Lay's barbecue potato chips. So I'm sitting there eating it. And I swear, like two chips in, my nose started to tickle. I was like, the very tip of my nose. And I'm like scratching it and it's tickling. And, and, I ate the whole bag of chips. And by the time I got to the end, my nose was running. Then I was sneezing. And I continued to sneeze and have a runny nose for the entire rest of the flight when they picked me up the airport the whole rest of the evening. I'm sure they were all like, what's wrong with her? (laughs) But it was like allergies. And then I was like, I think, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm getting sick. I'm not really sure. So I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I was perfectly fine. And then in hindsight, I was like, you know, it started when I was eating those barbecue chips. It's like my bucket was already probably close to overflowing because of the pollen. And then all the other stuff from the scents and the chemicals and the whatever, and then those barbecue chips just sent it
2: over the edge. Sometimes people will say that they're becoming like... More sensitive, not in a good way when they, you know, quote, clean up their diet. I see it as a good thing. Like you're realizing, you know, how things are affecting you. Yeah. I told you the story, I think, on our podcast about my sister's
0: car and the the smells in there. And I was riding in her car and she had one of those hanging air freshener things. I started to get a headache and I'm like, how do you stand this? She's like, I don't even smell it. And I just wonder what, you know, what. It's coming out for is her, that she doesn't realize if she lowered her toxic load and stopped using, like she uses scented laundry detergent because, you know, her mom did. My stepmother used Gain, which is heavily scented.
2: And to her, that's what clean laundry smells like. Every time I'm about to take an Uber, I'm like, please don't have the intense scent because you just go in and it's just... I don't know. I I can get like a a headache from it. and Ditto. Big headache. It's why I like to be the
0: designated driver now if I'm at the beach with my friends and we're going out. I'm like, I will just not drink at all and drive around in my own car. And I told Alice and my sister, I said, I'm just going to drive from now on. (laughs) Anywhere we got to go, you're riding with me you went on a long trip with her in that car it was it was a couple hours in the car each direction and it it made me feel so bad i'm not judging her at all i'm not judging my younger self i'm not judging anybody who doesn't realize what that's doing but by taking it out and then reintroducing it you do realize what it was doing and and it was doing things all along like i used to have such terrible allergies that during allergy season i had i had an allergy medication that i took every single day of the year and i would double up during allergy season and take benadryl too and still i had to shove kleenex up my nose like a stopper or it would drip out of my nose and like run all over the place it was my nose was running so much it was i was miserable and right now here we are i'm recording this i've taken zero allergy medication since 2016 and and it's it's just an incredible difference because again I've lowered my toxic load through what I put in. And I mean, fasting, you're obviously putting less in because it's the course of your your eating window is is shorter. So you don't have as much opportunity to put things in. But also, intermittent fasting helps our bodies clean. It's the time our bodies can clean and and deal with all the stuff that's accumulating. So it's made a huge difference for me. Wow. Same
2: here. So, well, this has been so, so wonderful. So for listeners, definitely get cleanish. Like I said, it's a super valuable resource and it goes really deep and specific into you know, what you really need to be knowing with like the labels and what to look for and how to make the changes. And it's just a really, really valuable resource. So I applaud you for writing it. Well, thank you. That means a lot, Melanie, because I wondered like, what's Melanie going to think? Oh no. I loved it. I loved it. It was incredible. And we, I we just need more books like this. And we need, I think we need more books like this that are just so, not that all books are like judgmental or anything, but it's just very approachable and accepting and yeah non-judgmental as far as making these changes. Well that's
0: that's my goal is for people to realize whatever you're doing right now you can improve it. And that I realized that when I was writing it because I had been greenwashed and the products I was using could be improved and I was shocked at some of the things I was using. And and knowing that even I could make positive changes even though I felt like I was doing a pretty good job, I could make a lot of improvements. And so yeah, you know, again, knowledge is power. Exactly.
2: So, for listeners, how can they best Get the book, follow your work. Do you have another book in the works? What's in store? I don't know what my next
0: one's going to be, but if you go to JenStevens.com, Jen, G-I-N, Stevens with a P-H, there are links to everything I do there. And you can also go to JenStevens.com slash Cleanish for specific Cleanish resources. And there's like a downloadable that goes with the book, but you do need the book to go through the downloadable too. Everything you need is there. My recommendations are all there for some of the products that I love that really make a difference. It's things like that you already know, Melanie, the dry farm wines and the, the branch basics and the beauty counter, but those are not the only clean versions out there. And the resources that you can find, you can, you can find all sorts of great things. The products are there. We just have to
2: keep asking for them. Exactly. Well, the last question I ask every single guest on this show, and you might remember it from last time. Oh, Lord, I don't. I don't remember it. Oh, well, it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: You know, I am grateful for the ability to get this important message out there all the all the important messages. I'm I'm grateful for a platform. I'm grateful that we we can in this day and age if we have something to say people can hear it. So that's one thing I'm grateful for. I'm also just grateful for just everything in my life, in my family, my cats. I mean, I'm grateful for this bottle of Topo Chico I'm drinking. <laughs> But, but overall, I'm grateful that people are receptive, like I said, to the messages that you and I are both putting out there and our ability to, I mean, never doubt anyone who's listening, never doubt your ability to change the world because we're in a time when you really can. You know, you're not limited. You can't just tell your neighbors and your family. You
2: can tell everybody I'm grateful for the time that we're living in. Awesome. Well, I am so grateful for all the work that you're doing and all of the changes that I'm sure people can make after learning all of this and Yeah. So this has been so, so amazing. I've been looking forward to this. I mean, this has been a long time coming because we, it has, I mean, I just remember like when this was just a, you know, the beginning of an idea so very long ago. So, well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And I'll, I will talk to you in a
1: few days very soon. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast.